Let's take a moment in prayer before the message. Heavenly Father, thank you for caring for us so much, for providing us in all that we need. As we come before your word this morning, let us be filled with love for you, with love for Christ Jesus, all through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think about somebody winning the lottery, you think about all the joy and rejoicing that goes on, don't you? A lot of people who win the lottery think, all my problems are now solved. Life is just going to be a cakewalk. But in fact, for the vast majority, just the opposite happens. The sad truth is, people who win the lottery actually declare bankruptcy at a much greater rate than the average American. Relationships are destroyed. Some people say that winning the lottery is a curse. There's a fellow, Jack Whitaker. In 2002, he won $315 million in the West Virginia lottery. And this is what he said. I wish that I had torn up that ticket. Just eight months after he won, he was robbed of $545,000. And also, since his winning, both his daughter and his granddaughter died from drug overdoses. It's sad, isn't it? You would think from all of that joy and rejoicing at money that it would have fixed everything, but it didn't. As a matter of fact, the joy turned to sorrow. So what's the reason for that plummet? Well, there's quite a few reasons you could go into. But today, I would like you to consider that the joy he had, that the joy other people had, the rejoicing, was not built on a firm foundation. That their joy and rejoicing was actually built on a house of cards. And when the tumult and the turbulence of this life, the trouble of this life swept through, they were all swept away. There was no more joy. So the question I have for you this morning is, on what foundation do you build your joy and rejoicing? What's your foundation for building your joy and rejoicing? Think about Paul again. Paul was in prison, right? We know that. He was isolated. You want to talk about social distancing? He was isolated from his friends, the people who were in the gospel for ministry, the churches. There was great distance between them. He was chained to a guard 24-7. You would think that he would naturally be depressed about what was going on what was happening in his life. Yet, he writes this letter to the Philippians that is full of joy and rejoicing. And I'm glad that he wrote that because not only the church in Philippi received that blessing from his letter, but you and I too receive that blessing. Because we've talked about this. What was the foundation of Paul's joy? It was what the Lord had done 
for him in Christ Jesus. That was the foundation. Christ Jesus and the gospel, Christ Jesus and the gospel, Christ Jesus and the gospel. Look, everybody's talking about COVID nowadays. How many people are talking about Christ Jesus and the gospel? No wonder there is depression throughout the land. See, when you are firm on that foundation of Christ Jesus and the gospel, you know what else you have? You have this. You have gratitude, contentment, and assurance. Because they go hand in hand. And these are the themes that we have for today as we take a look at our very last section here in the series, Join Times of Trouble. It is gratitude, contentment, and assurance. So let us be filled with joy by gratitude, contentment, and assurance. We're well, going to start with gratitude. We're starting with a reading from Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Do you remember if you were here or listening last week about that woman I talked about in St. Paul that I met and that every time I talked to her and said, how are you? What did she say? I'm thankful, right? There was that natural level of thankfulness and gratitude in her life because of Christ Jesus. Thankfulness and gratitude go hand in hand. So as we think about this, I want you to consider that thankfulness and gratitude are a natural expression in response to being blessed. Thankfulness and gratitude are a natural expression in response to being blessed. You ever, ever had your car break down on the side of the road? You're having a little trouble with the tire or fixing it, and somebody has pulled up and offered to help you? What do you feel? You feel gratitude, right? Or if you're having a really tough time and somebody comes to your home, calls up, and just spends time listening to you, not offering advice, not trying to fix anything, but just listening to you, don't you feel gratitude out of that? Don't you feel thankfulness? I mean, there's a lot of different examples we could give about how people feel thankful and have gratitude. But let's take a look at this even a little bit more. What is gratitude? gratitude true gratitude is a deep acknowledgement of an act of kindness. But if you think about it even more, it's deeper than that. True gratitude is the deep acknowledgement of one who has fulfilled this, loving another. Because when that person who has stopped to help you with your tire or has simply helped come to listen to you or offers to pray with you, what is that an act of? That's an act of love, isn't it? And from that act of love, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you can think about it or not, there's that thankfulness. There's that gratitude. And so where does this love actually originate? Well, it originates from God, doesn't it? 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. It is God who first loved us. And from that love, you and I are to love one another. And that's the flow of love. That's the flow of thanksgiving. That's the flow of gratitude. See, the sense of gratitude for the nation of Israel was top of the mind. It was part of their DNA. Gratitude for the Lord was part of their DNA. As a matter of fact, they couldn't live an enjoyable life with anything based outside of gratitude for God. Every aspect of their life was about the lordship of God over their lives. And so when blessings happened, they rejoice that God has given them so many things. They rejoiced at the magnificence of creation. They rejoiced at the splendor of his love, that they even cared for him, that he cared for them. And when times of trouble came, they also give thanks, trusting in him, that he was a just God. Thankfulness to God. As a matter of fact, you might think, well, that's just the Old Testament, but how do we begin almost our time, almost every time our time of worship is what? It is a thanksgiving or praise from the Old Testament, isn't it? Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all of his wondrous works glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. That's how we begin. So it's not just the New Testament. It's the Old Testament carried through. But now in the New Testament made manifest, God's love for us is made manifest in Christ Jesus. And so we find thanksgiving and praise and love and gratitude in Christ Jesus. Look, read Paul's letters. It's the theme that runs throughout all of his letters. It is thanksgiving. It is gratitude. It is praise for the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. And if you haven't read Paul's letters for a while, read it with that mindset a mindset of gratitude. So, that's some context here for what Paul now sees with the Philippians. He's recognized that they have a love for him, and he expresses that love in gratitude and rejoicing. He says they have revived their concern for him. Now, this word revive, well, it's a beautiful word. It actually is more like a, a flower blooming. And so their concern for him has blossomed again. I mean, you and I have that joy when we see a flower blossom, right? Stop and smell the rose as you see the blossom. So there's the joy that happens there. And in the ministry, when you see somebody blossom in the spirit, there's joy, right? There's thankfulness regarding what God has done in their lives. And now Paul sees that this has blossomed in the whole church. And he is rejoicing in that 
because of the gratitude of what God has done and their love. You see, the church in Philippi has been an encouragement for him from the very beginning. If we go to verses 14 through, through 18, it says this, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, Paul is not expressing his gratitude to get something. His true gratitude doesn't ask for anything, but rejoices in the love that is given. That's what true gratitude does. It doesn't ask for anything. It just rejoices in that love that's given. And now Paul also is rejoicing, being thankful, because God is at work in the church of Philippi. Look, as a parent, have you ever helped your child ride a bicycle, right? You first get the training wheels on, and then you take the training wheels off, but you're still holding on. And then eventually, right, they ride on their own the first time, and there's rejoicing, right? Because that child has now grown and had that gift of balance. Or if you're a piano teacher, right, and you're teaching the student how to play, and now they not only play without error, but they play with passion. They pay, play with some emotion in there. And there's that joy in what we have done. So what Paul is saying here is that he is saying he is thankful for what the work God has done in their lives. They are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And as a pastor, there is no greater joy in having someone have the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Yes, he's happy that he's received some material things, but he says, I, that's not what I really want. What I want for you is to grow into Christ Jesus. Gratitude. Now, when you have gratitude, what has to happen with gratitude is contentment. Those two things go hand in hand. You can't have gratitude without contentment. So going on, verse 11 through 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul wants to be sure that the Philippians don't read or hear him saying that he's trying to get more out of them by being thankful. He, he's very careful about that. He says, I, I don't need anything. 
And then he clarifies the statement by saying, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, contentment. What is contentment? Contentment is a state of being satisfied with what one has. I'm satisfied with what I have. What I have. Most of us aren't very content because we base our contentment on our circumstances. If I have the things that I want and the circumstances in my life are going in a way that I like, I'm content. But once they start not going the way I like, I'm discontent. And if they really don't go the way I like, then my discontent grows even greater. And it gets worse and worse, and we fret, and we start to lose sleep, and we are being anxious, and so on. Well, did Paul have reason to be discontent? Indeed, he did. I'm going to read uh, three passages of Scripture so you can get a greater understanding of what Paul's circumstances are like, were like. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting verse 11. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, buffeted, and homeless. And we labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Now in chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was drift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. These are the circumstances Paul had faced in his ministry. Now, if we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we find out, well, how can he deal with all of this? How can he still be content So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me alone, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon, rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. What's Paul's secret that he learned? It is to find contentment in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, it's when we're weak, and at our weakest, when we give up our struggle, especially of trying to do the ministry for the sake of the gospel apart from Christ, when we give up all of that and rely solely on his grace, his love, his mercy, then we're strong. Then, for the sake of Christ, we can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the meaning of that verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I bet a lot of you know this verse really well, right? And you might even have it in your home somewhere or in the Bible as a bookmark. This verse has been plucked out of context so much. It's painful. There's a cartoon I saw. This is guy, and he's trying to open up this jar, and he's going, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And if his wife says, Tom, it's a pickle jar. Twist the lid, not scripture. You see, let me give you an extreme example. One time I saw on a website a mixed martial art fighter. Okay, mixed martial arts is a very brutal, bloody sport. And on his website, he had there, because he's a Christian, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Did Paul write that so you could beat up another person and become bloody? I don't think so. Look, if you want an example, I think an appropriate example of using that particular scripture, think about Horatio Spafford in the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And that's the one we are going to sing later on. It is well with my soul. Even in spite of the death of his daughters, he was at peace. He was at peace because of the person of Christ Jesus. You see, where does our contentment come from? Our contentment comes from our faith in him who can do all things. That is where our contentment comes from. Now, I want to put in one last word here about contentment. This is from Warren Wiersbe. Contentment is not complacency, nor is it a false peace based on ignorance. Contentment is not an escape from the battle, but rather an abiding peace and confidence in the midst of the battle. So there is gratitude and contentment. And this is all then wrapped up in the assurance that we have that God will provide. So let's now go into assurance. Verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 
Now, there's another very famous verse, right? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So let's be really careful about this particular verse and the context, because a lot of prosperity preachers will use this to say, well, God will give you every material thing that you want. And there's a confusion then of want and need. As a matter of fact, it does not say, and my God will supply every greed of yours in Christ Jesus. It is, and by the way, you don't want God to supply your every want. If you got everything you wanted, you might end up just like those lottery winners, cursing the things that you did receive. It says, Paul says, you're going to receive what you need because God will supply that. So what is Paul's basing his assurance on? His assurance is in God's providence. His assurance is in God's providence. As a matter of fact, that's a theme also throughout this whole section that we're talking about, that God will provide. Providence means literally to see before. If you want to know where we get the word video, the root word is found in providence, to see before. And it also has the implication then that God will take action upon what is needed. If you think of, again, the Old Testament, the Israelites, they needed water. God provided water. They needed food. God provided quail. God provided manna from heaven. Jesus didn't leave people hungry, did he? He fed the 5,000 loaves and fishes, and he did it several times. So he took care of the physical needs. Now, if you uh, go back to our gospel reading from last week, part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus emphasized this to the people, that God will provide for your food, your clothing, and other things. But if God does so clothe the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? But we also saw from our gospel reading last week that life is more than what we wear or what we eat or what we drink, right? There is another level that is even greater than the temporal level. See, you and I focus on our needs in the here and now, don't we? We say, look, I need this and this and this and this, but do you know what the greatest need is? The greatest need you have in your life is relationship with God through Christ Jesus. That is the greatest need bar none. And see, during this time of distress that we're in, a lot of people have forgotten that. They're focusing on just the physical and the here and now, but the greatest need, and which God supplies, is for your salvation, for your redemption. He provided that need in the garden. 
He provided that need in Christ Jesus. This is the greatest need that you and I have. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. See, the glory of God transcends all of creation. We can see the glory of God in creation, but the glory of God actually transcends creation. We can take a look at the heavens and marvel at that, but the glory of God transcends that. And the riches of his glory are not bound by creation. But if you want to find out the riches of his glory for us, where do you need to look? You need to look at the cross. That is where we find the glory of his riches lavished upon us in Christ Jesus because it is an eternal provision. It's an eternal provision. Paul knows that this is an eternal provision and thus he has assurance. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. This is something, if you have your Bible, if you haven't looked at this for a while, bookmark this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The providence that God has supplied for us in Christ Jesus is eternal. If you are only looking for the providence of God in the temporal, your assurance will probably sway. But when you have the foundation of God in the eternal, you have assurance. With assurance, there's contentment and there's gratitude. Do you see how all these three three things play together. So for you this morning, a couple of questions. Is gratitude part of your DNA? Is gratitude just who you are? Now, I got to tell you, gratitude is growing on me, but it certainly wasn't what I was born with. So I am growing in my gratitude. And how do I grow? I ponder the love of God for me in Christ Jesus. Take a look at the cross. Focus on the cross all week. Do you have contentment in your your life? If not, meditate on the sufficiency and power of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Do you have assurance that God will provide for your every need? Oh, this is a hard one, isn't it? Do you have assurance that God will provide for every need? I would encourage you, go back. Read Matthew 6 and Romans 8. Let those be your devotions for the week.
When you have gratitude, contentment, and insurance, do you know what you can do? You can rejoice. You can rejoice in times of trouble, no matter the circumstance. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us, for caring for us, for providing not only for what we need here, but for providing our eternal life with you through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And for this, we give you thanks and praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. 